John chapter 8 is where we're at this morning. If you will turn in your B-I-B-L-E's, we'll get there in just a moment. Uh, For now, we are still uh, talking about identifying an antichrist spirit. I know that's the most encouraging thing to come back from vacation to preach, uh, but but that's what we're doing. My purpose and my goal is that you would not be deceived. Amen? Amen? That's the plan. That is the goal. That is the desire. And we talked a couple weeks ago uh, about the fingerprint of the Antichrist. And we know that when there's sin and rebellion, he's had his hand all over it. We know that when there's sin and rebellion involved in an individual's life, whether it's in the church or outside the church, I can guarantee you it is a person that has had their their connection with, uh, they've come face to face with the devil and submitted. Amen? Listen, if that's you, my friend, there's hope. But here's what you got to do. You got to repent. You got to stop it. You've got to turn and obey the word of God. We talked about the test of obedience, about that being so important of how we can uh, know who is influenced by the spirit of God and who's influenced by the spirit of the world. And and the only way we're going to know who's being obedient to the word of God is if we're in the word of God. Amen. So it's vitally important. So this morning I want to talk to you about the DNA of, 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 of our adversary of an antichrist spirit. DNA is something that's fairly new. Uh, over the last 20 years, it's been developed and being used in crime scene and things of that nature. You can know who's been there based off of the DNA that's found. Listen, you can go somewhere. They could find that you were at church by your DNA today when you get up and leave. Hair falls out. Some of us, it falls out a little bit more than others. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Skin cells, all this stuff. Listen, man, that kind of thing. If we all left the church, they could come in and pretty much figure out who was here and who wasn't here based off our DNA. Amen? So so we know that that's that's true, and we know that that's uh, pretty clear about DNA. But I want to ask you a question. Who's your daddy? My dad and I... I, people, there's no doubt that my father is my father. <laughs> people say, all you have to do is look at you, Bob, and know who your father is. I've had that, I've been, had that told to me. Now, I've, I have struggled because I didn't think that I looked like my dad. I can act like my dad, but I don't look like him. <laughs> have you men ever in your lives... And mom, ladies, too, as you have grown and developed and matured in life, you look at yourself and you go, oh my goodness, I'm becoming my father or I'm becoming my mother. Now, before I say any more, men, don't look at your wives and say, you act like your mother. Don't do that. I've tried that before and it didn't go over very good. Don't do that. I'll never forget my grandfather, Grandpa Mac. I, I was a little kid, and I go over to his house, and I can picture it as clear as day today, walking in the door, turning left, and he's sitting straight through that door. Uh, the TV's to my left when I step through the door. TV's on. He's in his recliner, kind of kicked back, and talking to me. And when he would talk, he would tap his hand. But there wasn't any kind of a rhythm to it. And he would kind of tap his fingers, and then he would kind of tap his hand a little bit, and it would drive me nuts. I'd watch it. And he would just kind of do this and, and, and just kind of tap. And I thought, Grandpa's got no rhythm. He's the whitest guy I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I would sit there and look at him, and I think, that's crazy. He, he's got no rhythm. But, but then I noticed later my own father doing it. And I have caught myself doing it. 
Another thing that Grandpa always did, he'd put his hands on his belly, and he would twiddle his thumbs. I have seen my father do it, and I have caught myself doing it. Now that my belly's big enough to rest my hands comfortably on. You see, DNA is a pretty interesting thing because we behave like those we share DNA with, correct? What about people that have been married a long time that don't necessarily share DNA, but they start to look and act like each other? You ever seen that? People that (laughs) are married, and you look at them and you go, how do they look exactly like? Because they spend all their time together, they are together as one, and so they can finish sentences. Parents are the greatest people on the face of the earth at finishing sentences. Well, I'm gonna, I, I did it the other day. Uh, April said something. She's, well, that's that, and I finished it for her, and she didn't say, oh, yeah, that was right. We just knew it was the right thing. We finished the sentence. She didn't even catch it. I caught it, and I thought, that's weird. I just finished her sentence for her. We do that when we're around somebody so much. When we are with somebody, it's almost like we become one and become like them. Here's the struggle in the Christian life and what we're getting ready to address in John chapter 8. You and I were made in the image of God. We have His DNA in us. We are eternal. We are an eternal soul. We are made with a free will. We have the ability in some fashion to create. Amen? We have the ability in some fashion to take life. There are some things in us where God has given us dominion over this earth, authority. But the problem is, is that we haven't been living with God. We've been living with somebody else. And while we don't have the, D, we have the DNA of our father with us, we decided to act like the prince of the power of the air of this world, an antichrist spirit. And what we're getting ready to read right here in John chapter 8 is a comparison of some folks. You're going to see both. Those that have carried on the DNA of their heavenly father. And you're going to see those that have learned to live out the behaviors of the prince of this world. John 8, verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold To my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Right there, we see already the test of obedience. Is a person speaking or living out their faith in line with God? Are they influenced and led by the Spirit of God? And the definition for those who are in obedience, if you hold to my teaching, everybody say hold. If you hold on to, in other words, you don't change it. You don't adapt it. You obey it and hold on to that which I have said and live that out in your life. You are really my disciples. The definition of a disciple is a person that obeys the Word of God. A person that's being led by the Spirit of God will obey the Word of God. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So that's that test of obedience we talked a couple of weeks ago. Verse 33, they answered him. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. 
I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I have heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. See how they jumped up from Abraham to now it's just God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and now I'm here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Sound anything like our culture? Jesus very lovingly tried to get them to see that their actions proved who they were more than their words did or their genealogy. They were at a crucial point. You've got folks here that were on the side of believing. You have folks there, or you got some, I guess you could say, wanted to believe, and you had others that were there that were frustrated because they didn't understand the doctrine that he was putting forth. They wanted to hold their religion and yet not believe on Jesus and not obey the word. You had those over here that were humbling themselves, recognizing that this guy is, is truth and he's bringing forth the word. And I may not grasp all of it yet. I may not understand this Messiah thing completely, but I'm, I'm believing that what he says is true. And yet the other side over here is, is confronting him and arguing and justifying themselves and being, being difficult about the truth. See, folks, there is a chasm between those two mindsets. They are as opposite as, as, as day and night. A person that sees their sin, recognizes their sin, and, and, and believes is different from a person that justifies their sin, holds on to their religion, and rejects truth. And that chasm is only a chasm that is going to be separated further in eternity. The one that recognizes their sin and humbles themselves before God and receives truth is the person that's going to receive salvation. But the person who holds on to their religion and argues when sin is pointed out is not humble and does not recognize that they aren't just good enough to go to heaven. They reject Christ. There's no salvation. The only way to the Father is through Jesus. He's the way, He's the truth, and He's the life. He also says, I'm the gate. That anybody else that tries to come in are thieves and robbers. He's the gate. Folks, listen, He's the only avenue. And when people justify themselves before Christ and throw away the truth that He has shared, they are now deceived. These people stood before Jesus and argued in their own righteousness, not in truth. They were an absolute deception. And the love of Jesus said this, you say you're following God, you say you're children of Abraham, but you want to murder me. 
an innocent man. You want to hear the lies of our enemy? The lie of our enemy will tell us that we can do anything we want and it's not going to catch up with us. (laughs) You can remain in your bondage whether it's drug or alcohol abuse or a sexual addiction or, or any kind of, you're a thief, you're a liar, whatever it may be, you can remain in that and be okay. It's never going to catch up with you. It'll never catch up. And when I say catch up, I'm not talking about the red stuff you put on french fries. It'll never catch up. He likes for us to believe, like our nation believes, that we can spend all of our money. <laughs> Amen? It's a lie. It's a deception. You're in deep debt and you continue to go deeper and deeper in debt and that it's never going to catch up? What kind of pride is that? It's a lie. It's a deception with the intention of destruction. The lie that says I can eat as many Big Macs as I want and I can sit on my couch and watch as much TV as I want and it's never going to catch up with me. And then you hit 40. Amen? You got two kids. You're 35 years old and you're hammering down the the chicken nuggets because there's a play place? Huh? You ever been there before? We don't care. Take the kids there. Let them run and scream. I'll eat 12 Big Macs, some fries, and a giant soda. Meanwhile, you look back and go, Dear Lord, it's a lie. You can't keep doing that and think it's not going to catch up. In the spiritual sense, the enemy wants us to believe that what is evil, what is sin, we can call it good, we can continue it, and it's never going to catch up with us. These individuals believed that they were good enough in their own righteousness. You know, everybody thinks they're good. Remember the video a few weeks ago? Are you a good person? Well, yeah, I'm a good person. (laughs) Truth is, folks, we are lost without Jesus Christ. We are absolutely and hopelessly lost without Jesus Christ. Jesus said this in John 9, He said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who will see who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with Him heard Him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. In other words, Jesus said, You really believe that you're innocent by your ignorance. You're not. You've seen Me. You've heard the truth. You've rejected it. And there are those who are blind in their sin. He came to open their eyes to the truth. Folks, listen. Through Jesus Christ, He's a very divisive individual. (gasps) Pastor Bob, God is love. God is love. Jesus is not divisive. That's just me. Listen, it's divisive in the sense that when you come to Him, He's the truth, and you've got to make a decision. Amen? You either believe or reject. It's one or the other. There's no if, and, or buts. There is no in between. There is no kind of like, can we be an acquaintance and maybe get together later? Listen, if it's anything other than I believe you, I follow you, I surrender to you, if it's anything other than that, it's rejection. It's very divisive. That sounds worse than what it really is. It doesn't mean that Jesus is divisive, manipulative. It just means you have to make a decision when you come to Him. John 3.19 says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. That's the deception of an antichrist spirit, to love darkness, to love that which is going to kill us. I shared it a long time ago, and now I say it before the words are even out of my mouth. I can't remember the words of the song. It's a popular secular song right now that says, 
Everything that kills me makes me feel alive. Is that it? Yep. How come you guys know that? Just kidding. Uh, Everything that kills me makes me feel alive. Do you know that's a lie and deception of the Antichrist? He, He gets us to kill ourselves spiritually, physically, in multiple different ways and tells us that's the fun thing to do. I used to smoke. Uh, I confess all kinds of things in front of you. Isn't that nice to know? I used to smoke a little bit. And do you know that the first time I picked up a cigarette, it wasn't enjoyable? I had to make myself like it. It's a little bit like coffee. I learned at cigarettes. I don't drink coffee. If there's something you've got to make yourself like, it must be from hell. Can I get an Amen. So what we do? We put a coffee station out here in the foyer. <laughs> Double standard. <sighs> the DNA of an antichrist spirit is that he will always, always pervert the scriptures. 100% of the time will twist How can a person be so deceived? How is it that these people, Pastor Bob, these Jews who heard the word of God, who handled the word of God, who had the words of Moses, had all these things, how could they be deceived? They had it in their hands. It's because there is an enemy that likes to pull scriptures out, overemphasize this one, minimize that one, twist that one, put them together so you can come up with a bad doctrine. It's what he does. It's how he operates. That's why it was when he stood at Jesus and talked to him. He said, that the, 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 the Father, throw yourself down. He's going to command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. In other words, he took the scripture and said it's okay to be disobedient to the will of God because this is what he said he will do for you. Some people today are saying it's okay to be, difficult, uh, to be opposite of the will of God because look at God's love. Look at his grace. Look at his mercy. Look at how great and wonderful God is. They take the judgment, the truth, the righteousness, the holiness out of it, slide it way over here, and really focus on the love and grace and mercy of God so that we can remain in our bondage and continue to sin, and it's never going to catch up with us. See, that's how the enemy works. That's, That's why it is that the Supreme Court ruled what they did a few weeks ago. That's why it is, I just, I don't get it. It's not a new tactic, and he's always questioned what God has said. People are questioning what God has said because the enemy has questioned what God has said. You find a devout atheist, I don't know how you can be a devout atheist, devout to nothing, but you can. Person, you know we got the Church of Cannabis in Indianapolis, has anybody seen that? They get together and they're trying to make it legal to smoke weed at their church. Did anybody see that on the news? They're bouncing balloons around the room and singing. (laughs) So I guess if you can have the devout atheist, you can have the church of cannabis. I mean, at least you're believing in something. Listen, if you've ever talked to a devout atheist, somebody, they're going to come to that conversation with a whole list of scriptures. And a whole list of questions and things that are going to, they think that they can shred the Bible to pieces. That's part of the reason why we're going to do this study starting on Wednesday, so that we can be equipped to help deal with those things and answer adequately. It's very, very important, folks. 
But they come with an attitude of anger and frustration and anti-attitude toward God. You say, Pastor, I don't, I don't believe you. Look at John 8 again. Look at verse 33. Look at the argument that these Jews gave to Jesus. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? First of all, they have been slaves. <laughs> Multiple times, Right? And even if these people said, well, that was my father's generation and not us, uh, they were under Roman rule. So in a sense, they were slaves again. We've never been slaves. Isn't that the lie of the enemy to lead you into bondage and say, you're not in bondage? They were slaves. They were under Roman rule. They were not their own sovereign nation at this time. They maybe were allowed to remain in some kind of a skeletal uh, shape of what their sovereign nation should look like, but they were under Roman rule. And it wasn't fun. And none of them liked it. But we're not slaves. They took all the scriptures. They said, we are Abraham's descendants. They justified their spiritual well-being off of their genealogy. We're Abraham's descendants. I'm Bob Fairchild's son. I can do nothing wrong. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yep. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And so is this. And we look at this, and they argue this a couple of different times. And what I'm saying is, is that the enemy had twisted the truth, God's law, and they made it mechanical. They made it do X, Y, and Z, and then you'll be saved. Come and do your sacrifice. Come, but, but don't repent of your sin. Don't really change in honor and worship of God. Just do X, Y, Z. You'll be forgiven, and you can go back to doing whatever it was you were doing before. They believed and understood that maybe we could go to the festivals that God laid out for us, but instead of honoring God and learning who he is and celebrating who God is in my life. We just did it as a ritual, had some good time, some family time and moved on. They made it something other than relationship. They made it something other than obedience. They made it something other than submitting myself to Christ, holding myself accountable in light of who he is. And according to the word of God, they did not pursue and seek righteousness. They pursued and sought out their religion. Look at Jesus, what he says to them. This is what Jesus said. We've already talked about this a little bit, so I won't say much about it. But verse 37, I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me. In other words, bringing them back again to, you want to do this. It doesn't matter if you're Abraham's descendants, if your life is catering to and living out consistently, willfully living out sin. You are deceived. Folks, listen. I'm not going to read all of it because we've already talked about it. If you and I are living out willful sin in our lives, don't let your church attendance deceive you that you're saved. Now, there's a difference between a person making a mistake. There's a difference between a person tripping and falling and getting back up. Amen? I I totally understand. We can say and do some pretty stupid things. I know. I was in a car for seven and a half hours the other day. And it's, I'm glad I didn't have a gun in the car with me. (laughs) April wasn't that bad. I I kept calming her down. And uh, (laughs) it wasn't that bad. I'm just being, I'm making a joke. Um, What was I talking about? Oh, yeah. If our actions, 
If we're professing something other than what our actions are proving, then we are deceived. If we are walking in these doors and we say that we're the righteousness of Christ, that we are the bride of Christ and we're going to heaven and we're this, 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 and this, and yet on the side of our lives being full of adultery, full of lust, full of stealing and thieving and full of manipulation and gossip and backstabbing and slander and divisiveness, if we live like that, one of two things is true about us. Either we're a brand spanking new Christian that doesn't understand it all yet. Amen? And is growing and learning. Or we're just an old hypocrite. It's the DNA of an antichrist spirit to profess some form of religion and yet live in disobedience. How does this happen? Well, Scripture's twisted, and then people believe it when they find a false prophet to come in and reaffirm their belief. We know that in the last days, Scripture makes clear that the last day people are going to gather around them a great many teachers telling them what their engineers want to hear. Folks, we are living there today. And so they want somebody to affirm what they believe. They don't want the truth. They want someone to affirm what they believe. To make them feel good. To make them believe that I can believe my lie and continue in my lie. Listen, can I tell you something? It, I, I, I said this in an early service. I, I don't watch Dr. Phil. That's all I needed to confess. I'll move on. No, I'm just kidding. I don't watch Dr. Phil. But one day I flipped the channels, and I know I shared this with you before. I flipped the channels, and there it was, Dr. Phil. And it's a little bit like a train wreck. You've got to look. You know what I'm saying? Now, you say that you've been on... This, this guy, this woman was absolutely deceived. Had, had found a boyfriend online, says he's from Africa, needs money to get from London. He's from Africa, but trying to get from London back to the U.S. so they can meet up. He's madly in love with her. She's talked to him on the phone. She... She, she sent him all of her money, all of her life savings, all of her inheritance, all of her retirement. It was completely gone. And the family was having an intervention for her. And even though he laid out for her that this man is not uh, true, this is who he really is, he's also taken this person's money, this person's money, went through the whole thing, laid it out and said, you have been deceived, he has stolen from you. And the woman said, I don't want to know it. I would rather just believe that it's real. That's deception. That's self-deception. And a lot of people don't want to hear the truth about heaven and hell. They don't want to hear the truth about sin. They just would rather believe that what they believe is real, knowing that they're going to be dead broke when they face judgment someday. Folks, I love you, and I don't want you to be deceived. False prophets... The Lord spoke to my heart a few weeks ago. It was prior to the Supreme Court decision. Listen, we are living in the last days. We are in possibly, before we leave this church, the very last day. It's possible, folks. But it's getting worse, and, and it's going to get worse. Uh, just a few weeks ago, Supreme Court decided to call evil good and good evil. This last week, our president is making deals with terrorists that are endangering Israel. 
Listen, you can say whatever you want about me politically. I'm not supporting or uplifting any candidate or party over another. I'm speaking as a pastor and telling you that when our nation is turning against Israel in the protection of her and telling and spewing lies, it doesn't matter what pulpit it's from, it's a false prophet. May not be the false prophet, but it's one. And I will tell you this, that before the Supreme Court decision happened, in my prayer time, the Lord spoke to my heart, which is what birthed a lot of this stuff out of. And he said, Bob, he said, there are false prophets coming in great number. And he spoke to my heart and made very clear that it's different than the past. It's different in the sense that they are operating under an, uh, an imitation of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. In other words, they are coming with a false anointing. An anointing that is demonic. And it has been around a long time. I know I said this a couple weeks ago, but it's been around a long time. We have seen it in our secular media and how things are produced. We've seen it in, in music. We have seen it in the agendas throughout our world all over. You can tell the difference between a person that's just talented and a person that's talented and operating under a demonic anointing. Here's the scary thing about the last days. The last days, the scripture makes clear. Jesus says in, in uh, 24, 24 of Matthew, Matthew 24, verse 24, he says, <laughs> Matthew 24, for false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect if it were possible. False Christ, false prophets, signs and miracles to deceive. Listen to me. That is a demonic anointing. What this means is, is, is the Lord saying that they're not just in the world anymore. They're moving their way into the church in great number. They've been in the church at times. They've led uh, in pulpits, in worship, and different things of that nature. The church nationwide, I'm not just talking here. I'm saying that people are operating under a spiritual anointing that is not of the Holy Spirit. It's an Antichrist spirit. And when they come in, they come in without an attitude of obedience to the Word of God. They have a very spiritual front. They gain control. They gain power. They manipulate. They affirm sin and deceive people to hell. And how does the final deception, the final deception is, is that they will do signs and miracles. I've said it before and I will say it again. If we are not in the Word of God, we will be deceived. Because what's going to happen is, here in the last days, do not be shocked. Do not be blown away by somebody who is not proclaiming the name of Christ who sees people healed. Don't be blown away by it. Don't be shocked. Don't be confused. Don't say, wow, maybe this person is telling the truth about homosexuality. Maybe this person is telling the truth about abortion. Maybe this person is telling truth about any number of sins that you could line up and, and talk about because somebody was healed or they did this. Listen, I'm telling you, the signs and wonders that are coming are going to be false they're not going to be life-improving, life-altering. They're going to be sideshows. Okay? They're going to be sideshows. Stuff that has no value, but is going to deceive people further to believe the lie of the sin. Why am I telling you this? Because I love you. I don't want you to be deceived. And I want you to know the truth. We are in the last days. Church, get right with God now. Persecution is coming. 
Yeah, Pastor, I thought when you went on vacation, usually you'd come home and you'd be all happy and real joyful and stuff. I'm, I'm in a great mood. I really am. But I'm just telling you the truth. So quickly, four things quickly. How is it that we keep ourselves from being deceived? How is it that we can remain faithful to God? I want to encourage you. I've talked too much about other things. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, Matthew 7. But inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. He's talking about false prophets here. By their fruit you will recognize them. What are their fruit? Their fruit is if they have a wrong opinion of God, they have a wrong opinion of the Word, they're not, uh, they, they are disobeying the Word of God. And I'm not talking about a pastor or make a mistake. We're all capable of making a scriptural error. I'm talking about people who teach, preach, and defend a doctrine of sin. Okay, It's as easy for the elect, for people who are in the Word, people who are pursuing Christ, people who are obedient to Christ, to spot. It's as easy to spot an apple tree that's ripe in season. You will know it by its fruit. In other words, the fruit of their lives is going to be so painfully obvious to you and I because we are in faith with Christ, amen, saved, sanctified, called, and going to be in glory someday, right? So for us, it's going to be plain to see. Just like you could drive down the highway at 65, 75, or 80 miles an hour and go past an apple orchard, you're going to go, oh, look, there's an apple orchard. Every time I'm in Florida and there's oranges on the trees, I don't have to stop and inspect and go, is that a, honey, is that an oak? Is that an oak over there? I don't even know. It's got oranges on it. Don't be afraid, child of God. You're going to see them. And you're going to go, false prophet, burn the book, turn the channel, shut it off from my life. Hear me? Be that aggressive with it. So how is it that I protect myself? How do I protect myself? Number one, well, Tozer says this. After comparing the laws of the universe to the moral absolutes of our God, he says this. Let an engineer be wrong about a position, and if he builds according to the wrong concept, his building will collapse around him. Let a navigator be wrong about where he is taking his ship, and his ship will run onto a, onto a sandbar or a rock and shatter, sinking out of sight. Nonconformity to the truth brings disaster. The enormity of the disaster depends on the high level or low level of the facts you have before you. So the enemy wants to shipwreck your life. He wants to destroy you with deceptive concepts. And the first concept that we have to have right is God. We have to have the right concept of God. If we're going to keep from being deceived. Mankind has a tendency to make God something other than what He is. We like to add to or take away from God's nature to suit ourselves, to meet our longings, our desires, our sins, so on and so forth. This is a compromise that is encouraged by the enemy so that we will allow ourselves to be consumed with sin. Every fundamental error has, that has ever been made uh, is because mankind has had a wrong concept of who God is. Genesis 3.1, the serpent said, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
And then Genesis 3, 5, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The enemy in the garden had a plan to deceive Adam and Eve to think that God was something other than what he was. That he didn't have the best at heart for them. That God, what he said, wasn't really true. And, and God's just trying to keep things that are good away from you. That's the mentality of the enemy. How many times has the enemy questioned God and planted a seed of doubt, resulting in the masses being confused and rebellious? Wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many will find it, but narrow the gate that leads to the eternal life, and and few find it. Since there is so much deception in the world concerning God, we need to be like the Bereans who search the Scriptures for truth. We need to see what God has said, what the Bible says in His character and nature, what His character and nature is, and believe it, not allowing ourselves to be swayed by the lies of the world. Number two, after we have a right concept of God, we've got to attain a right concept of ourselves. We are in a huge self-help era. You can go to CVS today and look over and see Self Magazine. Self and, and I look at the skinny people in the front, and I say, well, that don't look like me. We went to, we went to Tennessee. We were at Cades Cove, and I, I, I walked in the door. Alyssa wanted to ride horses, and we said, okay, and paid way too much money to ride horses for one hour. And so I paid the money, and, and I looked, and they said, there's a weight limit, 250 pounds. So I told April, I said, baby, I'm kind of teetering on that. Said you are. I said I, I don't know if I'm on the higher low side this, today or not. <laughs> so I asked the lady. I said, "So I know right now all of you are looking at me. Say you don't look like you weigh two fifty. I'd say three twenty five at least." <laughs> well, I tell the lady. I said, "So how strict are you with this two hundred and fifty pound rule?" She said, "Well, I, you'll have to ask the guy outside. Says he going to put me on a scale." She said, "No." I said, "Okay." So we went outside and I looked up and I saw them lining people up. The group in front of us are all lined up and these guys, these cowboys, they got their hats on, looking at them. And they're calling horses out. And I said, you know what they're doing, don't you? She said, yeah. I said, the little people get the little horses and the big people get the big horses. (laughs) And just about that time, here comes the next crew right before us coming back. And there was this guy on the front and this giant horse, man. It was like massive. And I said, there's my horse. I said, it really is. It's my horse. So they said, 87 or whatever our number was. And I walked up to the front of the line, kind of stood there and modeled for him. <laughs> Out comes the biggest horse they had. His name was Donnie. Donnie the horse. We got to have the right concept of ourselves. Amen. We got to see where we're at. Let's be real. It had nothing to do with what I'm talking about. <laughs> if we have a wrong concept of God, we're going to have a wrong concept of ourselves. If we ignore who God is, we misunderstand who we are. We are made in His image. We are not God. So when somebody doesn't glorify God as God, they glorify themselves as God. And that's why over all the, you know, the dictators in the past were worshipped as gods. They allowed themselves to be because they had no concept of God. We see in the book of Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
In Romans 3.10, it says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've all together become worthless. There is no one that does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift and shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. In the way of peace, they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And we ask people, are you a good person? Yeah. You know, I put a long time ago, I put a thing on social media, just kind of giving my testimony and, and, and people were so frustrated that I saw who I really was before I was saved. When I described what a wretch I was and, and, and the perversions of my mind and my lying and my deceitfulness and my attitudes, when I put that up, people were quick to comfort me. Oh, you were always a really sweet person. You were always really good. That's not what I was looking for. I finally had a right concept of myself. It drove me to my knees. And I said, I'm ugly. (laughs) I'm bad ugly. You see, we got to have, when we have the right concept of God, we'll have the right concept of ourselves. And thirdly, we must attain the right concept of sin if we're to keep from being deceived. Genesis 3, 4, the enemy said this, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. In other words, saying, God said you would die, but you're not going to die. You see, when you have a wrong concept of God, you see him as a liar. When God said you're going to die, that's not true. God's, and then a wrong concept of self, you're so wonderful, God would never kill you. You're so great, you're his favorite creation. And and he's not going to judge you. My God would never send anyone to hell. And so then, if you have that concept of God and self, then sin is, you're going to have a wrong concept of sin because if if God himself is that, then your sin is nothing. It's not a big deal. Never going to have to account for it. You will not surely die. There's no accountability for your actions. There's many that have believed this lie today. Lastly, we must attain a right concept of Christ. Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The whole purpose, the whole purpose, church, of Jesus Christ, that's speaking of Christ coming to crush the serpent. The whole purpose of Christ is to crush the serpent's head, not to coexist with him. Not to let him have certain portions of our lives. Is to destroy sin. Sin was destroyed on the cross. The question is, is who are you going to live with? What DNA are you going to carry? You see, if we have a wrong concept of God and a wrong concept of ourselves, we're good. Sin doesn't have an effect on us. And then we're going to have a wrong concept of Christ. We're going to say, well, like the world does. Well, Jesus came. He died on the cross for my sins, so it's okay. I can live however I want and, you know, folks, that's not true. Scripture talks about us needing to repent of our sin, needing us to believe upon him, confessing him. Folks, again, why is, why is Pastor Bob teaching this stuff? This is driving me crazy because I love you. And one of these days, <laughs> the one that's in us that is greater than the one that's in the world is going to take us to glory for all eternity. Where all these things I'm talking to you about today, the scripture says they're going to be forgotten. 
We won't have to worry about them someday. Amen? But today, we don't have to worry. We just have to be awake. Have to be aware. We don't have to be fearful. We just have to be alert and active. I'm going to tell you this. I want to be found doing my Father's business when Jesus returns. And I want you to be found doing the Father's business when the Lord returns. Because you and I are going to sing with angels around the throne of our God someday with loved ones that have gone on before us. And we have an eternity ahead of us that is so valuable. Nothing's worth giving up. It's not worth giving up for a lie, for a momentary deception. I want us to be equipped and I want us to be ready. Bow your heads with me.